Hey guys, how's it going? A lot of you are still looking at your phones. I need you to stop, look up here. How you guys doing? That's a little better. Okay, cool. So uh, tonight is our last night at this location. So raise your hand if you know the new location. Okay, so it's going to be 6th and Brown for those of you who didn't raise your hands. Um, same time, different place. Um, so tonight what we're going to be doing after uh, worship... We're going to be tearing some stuff down, loading it into trucks, and moving it over to the new building. So if a few of you would like to stick around, volunteer, and help out, it should take, like, maybe an hour from start to finish. Um, I have announcements, too. Um, so, also, we have free market coming up. So that's going to be November 7th. Um, if you guys have donations for free market, um, get them to Autumn, Dave, me, Steve, Allie, AJ, or Kelly by November 25th. Please no later than that. What is it? I did, didn't I? I'm sorry. October 25th. Free market is November 7th. Um, and then also we've had some changes in the East End uh, ministry. So f- uh, we will keep you guys posted on to when the next cookouts are going to be. But for further notice, um, Mondays is going to be a service day. So um, if you're interested in helping out in the East End, find uh, AJ, Allie, me, Steve, or Kelly, and we can get you guys set up. So I'll pray, Chris or Corey. We'll put on music and um, get up and say hey to somebody. So, um, God, we thank you for this time. Uh, You've let us come together again at this location um, to worship together, to learn together, and to grow together. I ask, God, that you're with us this evening. Um, Be with us in the the move um, and and help us be effective in spreading your gospel. Um, In Christ's name, amen. No music? What's up, Revolution? Do it one more again. What's up, Revolution? I'll take it. Notice I said one more again. Anyone else from the sticks? Right on, whatever. So my drum cage is gone, and that sucks. It's outside, and I don't think anyone's going to steal it here. But whenever we move to the East End, we can't keep anything outside anymore because it will get stolen. Um, some of you don't laugh because you never lived in the East End before. Um, Dave knows what's up. Dave's over here laughing. Dave's from the East End. Um, <laughs> so before we start, I want to I tell you guys something awesome that happened last week. Um, there was a dude that came to church here. Um, his name was Alan. Um, some of you guys may have saw him. He was a, an older dude, um, had his head shaved. He was wearing a white Budweiser t-shirt. Um, and Alan is an alcoholic. And... Here, here's, the, here's the gist of the story. Uh, the praise band, after we had practiced, we were heading to Tim Hortons, and, um, and this dude's standing at the stoplight right before you turn left to get, into, to get to Tim Hortons on um, 23, and Ryan was driving, Rolf was driving, dude who plays guitar, and, uh, and he stopped, and obviously at the red light like you're supposed to, and rolled his window down and asked the dude, said, hey man, what's your name, Alan, are you hungry, you want something to eat, and Alan agreed, and he came to Tim Hortons with us, and hung out with him, uh, or hung out with us, and uh, Ryan bought him dinner, and uh, he agreed to come to Revolution, we said, hey man, if we can give you some, get you somewhere to sleep this evening, will you come to church with us, and he agreed, so he came here, and we got to pray with him a few times, and, and he got to hear the gospel proclaimed to him, and then um, we took him, Dustin uh, took him to the place where he was going to be staying that night, the hotel, and uh, he had mentioned that he wanted to go to rehab and that he had left a rehab three or four weeks before. Um, 
and I had called them to ask them if they had room for them to come back, and they said they didn't because most of the time rehabs are blocked up and you've got to be on waiting lists. Um, and as God's sovereign provision would have it, Dustin uh, knew a local pastor around here that he called, and long story short, within 24 hours of us meeting Alan um, and Ryan stopping and talking to the guy, he was in a car on his way to rehab in Charleston. Um, so that is awesome. Like, you don't hear very many stories. Yeah, dude, that is, it's legit, yeah. Like, and we're not clapping for us, we're clapping for what God does um, for people. But yeah, I, I just wanted to encourage you guys with that story and just take a few minutes and let you guys know um, that, like, the things you do matter, right? Um, most of the time, like, you hear, like, you know, don't, don't stop for homeless people. Don't, don't get them anything. You're just going to get burned. They don't really need it or... or They've made poor decisions, and it's on them. Let them pay for what they've done, and, and if you help them at all, that you're just going to get burned by helping them in some way. And I'm here to tell you, you might. You might get burned whenever you go to help someone who needs help. Um, but if you manage to help one person, if you manage to share the gospel with one person, then it was worth it, right? So don't ever be afraid to make yourself vulnerable to being used. And if you get used by someone, don't be afraid to make yourself vulnerable again because that's what Jesus has done for us. He, he made himself the alter, ultimate um, vulnerability in, in taking on death and God's wrath for us. So we should be willing to make ourselves vulnerable to other people. So I just want to encourage you guys. This is why revolution exists is so that we can tell people about Jesus and tangibly help them. Um, and that ties into what we're going to be talking about this evening. Um, but I just want to let you guys know about that. Um, because you don't hear a lot of good stories, you usually only hear bad stuff. Um, but tonight we're starting through uh, the Gospel of Luke again, like we did all last college year. We're starting it again, um, and we're going to be taking breaks every month or so, like I told you a few weeks ago. Um, but we're doing this series, it's called, Did Jesus Really Say That? Right? We want to take a look at what did Jesus have to say on a lot of different teachings. So we're going to be looking at his teachings more so than um, his actions. We're gonna, not really looking at healings or where he went, but what was he teaching? Um, and the reason why we're doing that is because culture says a lot of things to us. Um, Western culture has a lot to say about life, about love, about money, about all kinds of different things. Uh, and Jesus is most oftenly saying, most oftenly, that's not a word. <laughs> Jesus is, uh, I think I'm hilarious. Uh, Jesus is most often saying something radically different from what our culture has to say. So it's really important to know what Jesus says if he is our Savior and he is our Lord. And the Bible says his word is truth, and we believe that as Christians. Um, so he is, he's God. We need to know what he has to say, right? So tonight we're going to be talking about money and helping people. Um, but what do we think about money, right? What, what are we being told day in and day out about money from our culture, Right? Like the, the great uh, 20th century philosopher, the notorious B.I.G., told us that mo' money equals mo' problems. Um, some of you weren't around for that. I got Dave in my corner, too, because someone else likes gangster rap up in here. Thank you, Dave. Um, it's a Dave thing. We've got to stick together. Um, <laughs> but seriously, right? Like, like what, um, what, is, what does music tend to say about money, right? M- music in our culture talks about cash all the time, usually in the context of get more. Right, um, chase money. Like Chris Brown said, I'm getting paper, and look at me now. Am I, is that still relevant for any of you college students? I don't know what you guys listen to. Uh, I'm a metalhead, right? But I know on Top 40 Radio, it's all about buy more stuff, be more extravagant, um, get acquire more, and if you do that, you'll be happy. Um, we, that's that's the message that we get from music. And I know that once in a while, you get songs to talk about how money won't make you happy, and I get that. Uh, but as like on, like on the whole, what are we hearing from our culture? Um, 
Uh, and, and, and what about, what about movies, right? What about media? Um, movies like The Wolf of Wall Street and Casino. Anyone seen Casino? Anyone like mobster movies? Rolf knows what I'm talking. A few people. Casino's legit. Um, don't watch it if your kids are around. And movies like Wall Street with Charlie Sheen before he went crazy. Um, and taught us that, like, money can get you a hot spouse. It can get you a nice car. It can get you everything you ever wanted. And as long as you don't get in trouble with the police and do everything legit, um, you're going to live happily ever after. Right? That's always the one downfall in those movies is someone did something illegal and the cops bust them. But money is always like they're happy the entire time that they're getting rich with all the stuff that they have. Um, and just consider like the advertisements that we see every day. Like the hundreds of advertisements we see on television and Facebook and all these different media like YouTube. Um, right? I actually heard this one story about a Canadian guy talking about our advertisements. And this, this made me laugh. He's like, in Canada, if you see a commercial, and this may be an old story, but this is still, I think, relevant. Um, if you see uh, a commercial about dish soap, it's like, yeah, here's the dish soap. Here's what it's called. Here's how much it costs, roughly. It's pretty good. It'll help you do dishes. You should probably buy our product. We think it's better than other people's. In America, <laughs> yeah, dish soap is like, hey, you should buy dish soap because not only will it help you clean your stuff, it'll make your marriage better. Like, that, that's like... It's like, and you can see, like, the couples are smiling, and they're laughing, and, like, the, they're cleaning the kitchen, and everything's good, and they're loving on each other, and isn't this awesome? And I've only been married for two months, but I'm here to tell you, no one's smiling when you're cleaning the kitchen, right? <laughs> like, you're actually, like, you're, like, light, like, you're, like, lightweight mad at your spouse, like, what, do you have to eat again and dirty more dishes? Because I'm sick of cleaning them. And then you realize that you're responsible for half of the dishes, and then you hate yourself, uh, <laughs> too dark. I always go too dark and I lose everybody and no one thinks I'm funny. Uh, but in all, our culture tells us that money is going to make us happy and our culture pushes us to buy more because stuff is going to make us happy. So we want to get a high paying job so that we can get more, we can save our money, we can be comfortable and eventually retire. Right? That's why most of you in college have the major that you do. Not all, but most. You want to get a good job. You want to make as much as you can um, you, so you can achieve this American dream of being comfortable and retiring. Um, but we're going to see this evening that Jesus never calls us to this kind of life. He always calls us to something different. He wants us to recognize that this life is not all about stuff, right? It's actually about a right relationship to God, which is evidenced by how we use what he has given us to further his kingdom. Right? Jesus calls us to give. He calls us to help people, to, to not be so concerned with this life that we become selfish and ignore God's command to love and serve other people. Right? Jesus is going to warn us against greed in this text because greed is a killer. Right? It blinds us to all kinds of things, and, and it essentially makes us believe that we are our own gods, and that is not life. That way of living leads us away from Jesus into a miserable earthly life full of fear and uncertainty, and ultimately that kind of thinking leads us to eternal death and hell because we have traded the true God for a false God of wealth and possessions. So Jesus wants us to be free. He wants us to experience the certainty of knowing that God is the one who will take care of us and that through faith in him, God the Father is our Father. Jesus wants us to be free from the bondage of fear that greed enslaves us to. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, verses, or yeah, chapter 12, verses 12 through 21, and we're going to see what Jesus has to say about money, and then we're going to come back at the end and look at verses 22 through 34 and sum it all up. Um, but if you're here this evening and you're new or the Bible you have at home is 
um, not very good uh, or hard to understand, take one of those blue Bibles home. If we, yeah, they're out in the, yeah, we got them out this time. Take one of those blue Bibles home with you. That's our gift to you. Um, but Luke chapter 12, verses thir- starting in verse 13, says this. Then someone from the crowd, or called from the crowd to Jesus, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he, Jesus said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own, right? So real quick, the stage is being set for Jesus to teach a parable. It's just a story with a huge, huge meaning behind it, right? It's not just a morality tale, but it has a theological concept behind it. Jesus wants us to know something about God and about life and about godliness and righteousness, right? That's what a parable is. But Jesus has, in this chapter, just, I think this is funny, he has just finished teaching about how we should fear God and not men because God's the one who has power over our souls and, you know, our right standing with him, um, says, well, we're going to spend eternity, so we should be afraid of God, not be afraid of men. And then this cat pipes up in the back. Jesus just finished that. Hey, can you tell my brother to give me more stuff? <laughs> like, like, just an idiot. Like, I always think it's funny because I tend to do that kind of things. Like, completely not listening to anything Jesus has to say. And he's just really concerned about what's going on right now about money, getting more, right? This man's Motives are probably greedy. We don't know that for certain, but I would say probably. Um, he wants personal wealth at the expense of family wealth because he wants that inheritance divided even more, and he probably wants to go and leave the family and do his own thing. Um, you know, he, he wants Jesus not to mediate and be fair, but he wants Jesus to tell his brother to give him more money. That's essentially what this guy's asking um, to do. He doesn't ask Jesus to mediate. He says, hey, give me a kind of ruling that would help me to get more. Um, and Jesus basically tells him, that's not why I'm here, Right? That though Jesus is the ultimate judge of all things, Jesus says, I'm not judge over that, right? He declines is what that means. He just declines to give him an answer to that. But Jesus uses this man's obsession with money as a springboard to teach about possessions, right? Note, note this, that Jesus says, beware and guard against greed. He says, all forms of greed. Keep that in mind because greed's often sneaky. Now, I don't know about you guys, um, but for me, I struggle with greed um, more than almost any other sin, um, and I think that's because I come from a, a family that's pretty well off, a lot of entrepreneurs, lots of businesses. Um, and I think that greed often um, masks itself as financial responsibility, right? Like, I'm just planning ahead. I'm just trying to be responsible with my money so I don't really spend any of it. I hoard it all. I'm just being careful. What if I need this in the future? I'm just trying to be as responsible as I can. Um, and I think that's why Jesus says, beware and be on guard against greed because it's sneaky. You don't even realize that you're being greedy, right? Usually until you read the Bible and then you see a parable like we're getting ready to hop into, right? But here's what greed is. Greed isn't being wealthy. Greed is really a sinful desire to get more of something when you already have enough, when your needs are already met and you just have this unhealthy, obsessive desire to to have wealth that exceeds your desire to know and obey God. That you would rather have wealth than obey God's commands to help other people and give money to people who need it, right? And to know God is to obey God, right? But Jesus also says this. He says, life is not measured by what you own. So he starts off just, just like shots fired, right? Like we don't think like that in the United States. This is just, this is riveting. That's a riveting statement for us. Like everyone posts on Facebook, like life is more than just like, like just girly things, right? Like you see, like life's not about money. That's not how you really live. Like, let's be real here for a minute. Like, what's your major? Engineering, 
do you like engineering? Nope, but I think it'll pay like $100,000 a year when I'm done, right? Like, that's what you hear. You don't really live as if money's, like, not important. Um, anyway, I just like to make fun of Facebook a lot, right? But, but again, this is, this is a riveting thought for us, that life is more than possessions, right? We're, especially because with our, like, ads and stuff, we're always being told in our culture that we need something newer and better and that that thing is going to make us complete. But Jesus is calling us to just point blank reject that kind of thinking. And instead of that lie, Jesus is going to show us the truth, that life is really about right standing with God and loving people and being good stewards with your money. Um, but let's continue on. Verse 16. Then he, Jesus, then Jesus told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, I remember, um, I remember reading this parable for the first time, um, and like really trying to like understand it a couple of years back. And uh, and I, I didn't understand what the rich man did wrong. Um, like at first read, I was like, what did the, like? And, mo- and most of us don't see the problem immediately, right? What did the guy do wrong? Why does Jesus like call him a fool? Um, but let's, let's consider this story on a deeper level, and I think we're going to understand why. Right? This dude is a farmer, right? and that, that means that he is dependent. I'm from Minford, but I don't know a lot about farming, so bear with me. I, I know that, that farmers are dependent on rain. You need water. You need sun. You need good weather, right? It can't be too hot. It can't be too cold, or your crops are screwed. And you need good seed, right? You, like you're, they have to grow. They have to be good, seed, good seeds in order to grow, um, and the reason why I point those things out is those are tons, right? And I'm sure there's more variables than that. These are all variables that the man, the rich man in the parable, has no control over whatsoever. He has no say in how that stuff goes. If God says it doesn't rain for the next 90 days, it doesn't rain for 90 days. Look at San Francisco, right? Stuff like that happens. Um, but God controls them. God controls all of these variables. The Bible teaches us that God is sovereign over all things. He is in control of all things. There was a theologian, I think it was Martin Luther, said that like, to express like how much God's in control, that like the specks of dust that you see in a beam of light, God's in control of those two. That that's the sovereignty of God. That's his reach throughout the universe. Um, which means that this harvest happens because God wants this man to become wealthy. Right? Think about that for a second. A lot of people say it's a sin to be rich. God's the one who made the harvest happen. Like God's the reason why this man is rich. So this is proof that being wealthy in and of itself isn't sinful, but it's what we do with wealth that is judged. Right? God gives, and do we recognize it as a gift from God, or do we think that we earned it? Right? That's going to dictate our response. We're always judged by our response to what God gives. Right? But in spite of the fact that God is the one who gave the harvest, the rich man makes no mention of God. Read the parable again for yourself in your free time. He makes no mention of God himself, nor does he acknowledge that it's God who blessed him with such a huge harvest. He says no thanks. He does nothing. He thinks that he has acquired this wealth completely on his own, that it's been his work and his will and his everything that's led him to be in the position that he is in now. How often is that us with our money? 
Doesn't that hit you right in the America? Like, like, <laughs> like how often is this us with our money, right? Why do you have what you have? Well, you know, I, I did well in school. I went to college. I got a degree, uh, applied at the job, aced the interview, made good life decisions, stayed away from drugs, you know, saved my money, spent it wisely, and now I'm in a position where I have a lot of money. Right? That's the kind of answer usually that you hear. But here's my question. If God said you won't get that job, no matter how well you did in the interview, no matter how many places you applied, would you have that job? No. God is sovereign. He does what he pleases. He's the one who dictates what happens to us. He's the one who controls our futures. He's the one who controls everything. Furthermore, let's kick the can back further. You went to college. Why did you go to college? Probably because you're an American and you were born into a first world country. Education is readily available. Loans are readily available to you. Could just, you. You don't get to pick where you're born. Let's kick the can back further. Why did you go to high school? Again, American. And your parents probably made you go to school. You don't get to pick your family. Why did you make a lot of the life decisions you made? Probably because of your upbringing. You don't get to pick your family. You don't get to pick what kind of parents that you have. Straight up, you don't get to pick whether or not you're going to be development, developmentally disabled or not. Right? Your intelligence, everything that led you to where you're at has all been a gift from the sovereign God. Right? Everything we receive is a gift of God. Right? It's all grace. We make nothing happen by ourselves. And furthermore, we deserve nothing but God's anger because we sin on a daily basis. And yet, not only does God give us Jesus to pay for our sin, but God gives us all of these things that we have in abundant grace upon grace. Your intelligence, everything that you have, all the money that you have, the job you have, everything has been given to you as a gift, right? But this man doesn't think that way in the parable. He doesn't view his wealth as a gift from a good, giving God. He views himself as entitled to all of it. Right? And that's, that makes sense. He's, he's being logical. If he thinks that he's worked and it's all his, then, then he's caused the harvest. And therefore, the wealth is all his. He deserves it. He's the one that gets to dictate what happens to it. And you can see that this is his thinking by how much he uses the words I and my and mine in the parable. He uses all these like possessive words. Um, all right, so, so then with this huge abundance, this rich man decides to store it up right, so he can retire. Right, he actually has to tear down his smaller barns and build bigger barns, which means that he's already wealthy. Right? His barns are full. He has to make bigger ones. Um, he doesn't consider that he has an excess, that he has way more than he needs. He, he doesn't consider the poor. He's just being very practical. It's mine. I worked for it, so I get to keep it. It's not a gift. I earned it. Right? So the guy plans to selfishly, greedily hoard his wealth so he can retire and take it easy. And by ignoring the poor and being selfish, he proves that he doesn't know God. Right? Jesus says the two great commandments, love God and love your neighbor. Love your neighbor means help them and help them tangibly. So what he does with his money proves whether or not he knows God, right? And Paul says this in, in, in multiple places in the New Testament. Paul says the greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because the greedy prove that they don't know God because they're not loving people. You can't love God and then watch people suffer around you. See someone with a need and not do your best to meet it, right? So the man's ultimate problem displayed by his actions is that he has no faith in God, he doesn't know God because he's not being obedient to God. He's wholesale ignoring God in all facets of his life. And the man dies in his selfish, greedy sin. He is a fool. 
He stored up money. He lived for today. He was comfortable, and he had no relationship with God. He was rich here, but he was spiritually bankrupt. He had no faith. So Jesus warns us against greed by telling us this story of a rich, selfish man. I'm glad we got to take a deeper look at that and see what the dude's real problem was. But what's that got to do with us? Right? I'm not rich. Bill Gates is rich. I'm not rich. I don't know about you guys. My dad's rich. I'm not. I was trying to make him feel awkward back here. So I could get a drink of Kickstart. That is the most delicious beverage. I highly recommend it. Mm. My inner redneck loves Mountain Dew. Um, it's like Mountain Dew and Marlboro cigarettes. Like That's like the white trash soda county thing. Like, whoop, whoop. No one else? Whatever. Um, right? <laughs> But what does, what does this parable have to do with us, right? I'm not rich. Bill Gates is rich. Bill, I actually looked this up, and I've said this before. Bill Gates makes over $300 a minute. So if that dude drops a $100 bill, or $300 a second, I apologize. That means that if he drops a $100 bill, it is not worth his time to bend over and pick it up. That is rich, right? That is insane. Um, and I'm not that. So I'm not rich, right? We often like to say that we're not rich, so parables like this don't really involve us too much because we're comparing ourselves to someone else. But here's the thing. From God's perspective, who is omnipresent and omniscient, he sees all, he knows all. From his perspective, he sees us and compares us to people in third world countries. And he says, oh, dude, you are rich. You are rich. Right? So in comparison to everyone else, we are all wealthy. Right? Maybe not in, compar- in comparison to other people in the United States, but we are all wealthy worldwide. Right? Think about it. You're most of us have clothes. Most of us don't have to wear the same clothes every single day. Um, unless you're a weirdo like me and you just like to wear, like, the same pair of pants for, like, three days in a row. I know that's nasty. Um, <laughs> but, like, hey, man, if girls cannot wash their hair, like, for every, like, five days, then I can get away with wearing pants for a week. <laughs> I learned that since I've been married. Like, girls don't wash their hair every day. That is gross. Um, <laughs> I need to get back on topic. I'm sorry. Being married has just let me know a lot of things I didn't know. Um, <laughs> right? But think about it. Like clothes. Like we don't have to wear the same clothes every day because we have a lot of clothes. Um, most of us have a car or some form of transportation. And we know someone who does. We eat three square meals a day or more, a lot of us. And if you don't eat at least three times a day, it's because you've chosen not to eat. Most of us have a little bit of cash in a pocket or, or a little bit of cash on our card that we can spend. Um, as like expendable money, um, I, I, at least as far as I know, everyone in here has a place to sleep this evening. No one here is homeless, and if you are, I'm not being funny. Please come talk to me after the service. Um, we don't worry about meals. We don't worry about daily living, and in reality, most of the world around us, a lot of third world countries, live off a dollar or two dollars a day. So from God's view, we're all rich, and the more that we have, and we have a lot here in the United States, the easier it is for greed to creep in. And it does creep in. Little by little, we become more interested in getting more. And, and often we don't even notice it. Again, Jesus says, be on guard. Right? But, but why is greed such a big deal? That's my question. Why? That's what I always ask. I always ask, why? What's the problem with greed? Scripture tells us to beware of it, and Jesus tells us to live open-handedly, right? to be giving with our resources to help the poor. But why? Why is greed such a problem? In short, because greed blinds us. Greed greed blinds us to the truth. And hear me on this. Whatever blinds us from the truth enslaves us to a lie. Whatever blinds you from the truth enslaves you to a lie. So I want to hit three different ways that I think greed blinds us and how it enslaves us. One, I think greed blinds us to the sovereignty of God. What I mean by that is is we get so much that we think that we're the one who establishes where we're going. 
That if you get enough money, you can say, my future is secure. But here's the thing, in buying that lie that you're the one in control and that money can help you be more secure in your future, you become a slave to worrying about the future, right? And what I mean by that is you know how jacked up you are. You know that you you can make a bad decision. You know someone could steal your stuff, right? So you're going to always be worried about, what if this happens? What about my future? Because if greed becomes your God, Right? If money becomes what's going to stabilize you, and it's not God who's going to direct your future, but it's money, what happens if you don't have any? Right? It makes us believe that, that we must make our own stability by our wealth. And that rather than trusting God to be good, and the Bible tells us he is, and God's proven to us that he is, that we feel we have to secure our own lives. And this rejection of God's sovereignty leaves us with only fear and uncertainty because we're going to mess up at some point down the road. Something can happen. Something terrible can happen. The banks can shut down. Now what are you going to do? Right? Thinking that we must be the one in control leaves us with only uncontrollable worry. Right? These what-if questions. You know, greed also leads us to, to believe that we deserve whatever we have. Right? Instead of, again, it robs God of his sovereignty. I'm the one who, who got me where I'm at. Right? Instead of viewing everything that I have as God's sovereign gift, we, we get this mentality that it's mine. I worked for it. I deserve it. I saved it. It's mine. But in reality, if we really understand that God is the sovereign gift giver, like James calls him in James chapter 1, that every good and perfect thing we have is a gift from our Father, then everything that we receive, everything that we have, everything that we get in the future should just drive us to our knees in gratitude to him. But greed blinds us to that. The second thing, greed also blinds us to the reality of eternal things, Right? make us think that this life is all that there is. And in doing so, that makes us a slave to comfort, right? YOLO. (laughs) Do people still say that? Like there's one dude in a fedora in a basement somewhere that's like typing YOLO on the whatever. I like fedora jokes, Um, (laughs) right? It's like this, make it count here or you lose, Right? That, that's the kind of slavery that, that we get into. We, we become a slave to comfort because we buy into this lie because once we get enough, once greed's blinded us enough, we believe that the here and now is all that matters and that we, we don't keep an eye towards eternal things. Right? Greed makes us live as if this life is all that there is. Now, now we might acknowledge like with our words that like, there's another life after this one, but our actions really dictate our true beliefs. Right? What we're doing with our money our, our mentality towards our money um, really dictate what we actually believe. All right? And this blindness leads us to chase money and possessions like a horse with a carrot strapped to it. Right? You're just going to keep chasing and it's never going to be enough because we buy the lie that more is going to make us happy. Right? A better car, a nicer house, newer clothes. Right? Um, we chase comfort. That's what's going to be what completes me. Right? Greed makes us think, again, that this life is all that there is when in reality, if if eternity is this whole stage, life is here is like a millimeter on it. But greed blinds us to that truth, so we only keep an eye to the here and now. Right? In, in reality, someday this stuff won't matter. Like, like nothing will matter anymore. Nothing here. Right? 10,000 years from now, what good is your iPhone? Right? What, what good is your money? What good is your house? What good is anything here that's temporary? 10,000 years from now, you don't even matter anymore. No one even knows who you are or what you had or anything. 
Right? Greed causes us to ignore the truth that one day we will stand before God and all of our wealth can't help us then. Right? It makes us fatally short-sighted instead of keeping an eye towards God and what pleases Him. And as we become wrapped up in this life and chasing after comfort and just wanting more stuff, we easily become blind to the needs of others. Right? And that's slavery to selfishness. Right? I, I come first, that kind of mentality. And you become a slave to selfishness. And, and I know like that sounds strange. Well, how can I be a slave to doing what I want to do when I want to do it and spending money how I see fit? Like, how is that slavery? Hear me on this, especially if you're a Christian. Right? We see people around us who are in need, who could use help financially or need something done for them and they can't afford it, whatever it might be, or they need a friend or anything. We see people around us in need and, and we intrinsically know that we ought to help them. Right, Romans chapter 1 says that God has written his law on all people's hearts to some degree. So we know what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. So we all intrinsically know we should help this person who is in need. Especially if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You definitely know that you should be helping. But then we become paralyzed by fear. Right? And we don't help them. Right? This, this is the fear of what if. Again, fearing the future. This is huge about greed. It makes us afraid of everything. What if I need this money later? Right? What if I need this 10 bucks later? Someone needs a few hundred dollars to help them pay a bill and I got it sitting around and it's a legitimate need. But what if I need that few, like how many months is it gonna take me to save up three or $400 again? Right, this fear of what if. You know, if I, if I help, I can't buy whatever it is. I might need this money in the future. And we turn this blind eye to the poor and this blind eye to our friends in need of help in order to remain comfortable because of our fear of losing comfort and our fear of the future. And that is nothing but slavery to ourselves. You're not living freely. You're not doing what you know you ought to do. You're a slave. Right? We're all encased by this fear of the future, a, a fear that this is all that there is. And in living this way, we're ignoring Jesus because Jesus himself says, whatever you do for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, Jesus calls the poor and people who need help his brothers and sisters. He said, whatever you do for them, you've done for me. And whatever you ignore them, you've ignored me. Jesus himself says that. And and furthermore, James in chapter 5, I don't got a a lot of time to run into this. James in chapter 5 of his letter says that our unused wealth stands and condemns us when we stand before God. That this hoarded up wealth that we didn't use will stand in judgment against us as a witness. So greed just piles up problems for us. It blinds us to God's sovereignty. It creates fear in us. It makes us think that this wealth is ours and we ignore God's gift giving. It makes us believe that this world is it. It drives us to ignore people. There is never any peace or rest with greed. There's only fear and self-reliance. Let's face it, we suck. Relying on yourself is awful because you know you'll mess up somewhere down the road. Greed blinds us to the point where we can't see God. And that's the ultimate problem, right? Greed, in the end, makes money our God, right? Lowercase g, makes money our God. It causes us to worship money, right? You might think, I don't worship money. Remember this, whatever drives our thoughts and drives our actions and drives our lives, right? Whatever we desire the most, whatever's in that driver's seat of our heart, is what we value the most. And what we value most is what we worship, what we ascribe the most worth to, and that thing is our God. Greed makes money that thing. And here's the problem with that. The one true God does not take that kind of thing lying down. He doesn't. God says he hates idolatry. 
He will not play second fiddle to anything, ever. That's the problem. God says we are to worship him and him alone, and he will not accept any competition for our hearts. And here's the thing. Greed is nothing less than the worshiping of the gift over the gift giver. Right? We want what God can give us, but we don't really want God himself. That's the problem with greed. This is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, whenever he says that we worship the creation instead of the creator. That this is what all sin is where we worship the creation, the things that God has given us instead of the gift giver. And this is a spit in God's face. This is rebellion against him, right? When, when we're greedy, we're telling God that we would rather worship ourselves and our desires and our plans, and we would rather be the sovereign one over our futures instead of knowing and loving and trusting him who has given us everything up to this point that we have anyway. It's rejecting God and his will in order to do our own thing, and that is sin, It's rebellion against God, and we deserve hell for ignoring this beautiful, good, blessing God, and instead worshiping garbage. What we've done is we've idolized a temporary creation over the eternal God. God takes offense to that. That warrants hell for us, and everyone here on some level at some point I think is guilty of greed. We're Americans. It's like in our DNA. But here's the thing, for all of our sin, for all of our rebellion, desiring riches over God, desiring our will over God, God is richer still in mercy towards us. This is the good news, right? That, That God desires to rescue us from his wrath for our sin and redeem us from our slavery and open our blind eyes to the truth. So he sends Jesus, he sends God the Son to earth. And and as greedy and selfish as we are, Jesus is even more generous towards us. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. That's what Jesus did. Jesus left all riches, all glory in heaven that he actually deserved, where we feel entitled and we don't really deserve anything but hell. Jesus actually deserved all of this praise, all of this glory, all of this riches, richness, and he forsakes it all to come to earth and become a man, become a poor man. And then Jesus lives his entire life giving to the poor, preaching repentance and, and helping the poor to give your money, um, to give your time, to give your heart to these people. And that's what Jesus does. He always values God the Father over possessions. Jesus didn't own anything. He even says, I have nowhere to lay my head. And Jesus lives that kind of a life and then wanting to be more generous still towards sinners like us. Jesus goes to the cross and says, I will pay for their sin in their place. And that's what happened on the cross. God poured out his justice and wrath on Jesus for us as a substitute in our place. And Jesus died and was risen from the dead three days later and says, if you put your faith in me, I'll pay what you owe God. I've paid for it if you'll trust me. If you'll believe that I did that for you, you owe nothing. That I will show you my generosity, that I became poor for you. That's the good news, right? So Jesus died to set us free, not only from God's wrath over sin, right? Don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying that. I would never downplay that. But Jesus didn't just die to set us free from that, right? Jesus also died to free us from our slavery to self-reliance and worry, right? 
That's why Jesus finishes his teaching with these words. And this is a lengthy passage, but check this out. So Jesus died not only to save us from sin and save us from God's wrath, but Jesus died to set us free from worry. Check this out. Then, turning to his disciples. So he's turning to believers. Jesus is speaking to believers. He said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So if the love of money causes us to fear the future, to feel uncertain, to feel entitled, to to fear want, and to be selfish, then Jesus has come to relieve us of these fears. What Jesus is saying to us is that if we are Christians, if we have placed our faith in Jesus, that we don't have to be afraid of the future. We don't have to be afraid of what ifs. We don't have to be afraid of anything because we have been adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus. Something Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, that through Jesus, we are now sons and daughters of God. God is our Father, and Jesus says our Father will care for us. He's proven he cares for us by giving us Jesus to pay for our sin. Right? So here's the question. Why would we not trust him then? If he has solved our greatest problem in giving us Jesus and drawing us to faith in Jesus, if he's shown us this kind of generosity and this kind of love, then why would we not trust him with our futures? Why would we not trust him to provide for us? Why would we still be afraid to give and help other people? Why would we not trust him with our entire life, with our needs, with everything? And furthermore, why would we want to cling to anything in this world for our help instead of trusting God because there was nothing in this world that was going to save us from his wrath. There was nothing in this world that was going to ultimately help us for eternity. Why would we want to cling to something temporary that's going to fade away whenever we have the eternal God who's already proven his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he gave us Jesus. Why would we not trust him? Jesus is saying that we can trust him. Jesus is actually making this argument. He says, if God cares for the worthless birds and flowers... How much more does he love you, whom he gave his son up for you? How much more does Jesus, or does God the Father love you? So you can live freely, knowing that the sovereign God of the universe calls you his kid. He promises to take care of you. So keeping that in mind, Jesus tells us two things. One, he says, don't worry, don't be anxious. Because God's sovereign, God's the one in control of your future, and he calls you his child. And as you're not worrying about those things, he says, seek the kingdom. 
And seek the kingdom means this, as simply as I can put it. Live in a way that represents God on earth. Seek his rule in your life. Walk with him. Walk in obedience to him. Seek to bring his kingdom here now as much as you can. This means essentially to obey the two great commandments, right? That Jesus says, love God, love your neighbor. Right? Live open-handedly towards your neighbors as you see people in need. So I'm not going to give you like a list of like, here are five ways to seek the kingdom. Like, it's just love God, love your neighbor, right? Seek to establish God's kingdom here in your lives as much as you can. Right? And we can do that because we know that we have nothing to fear. Jesus promises that our needs will be met, that God will definitely take care of us. Right? And because of that, we can imitate the graciousness of Jesus towards us, that we can give our resources, whatever they are, in service to other people. Right? All, all because we've been shown such a great love and security for our futures in Christ. Now, I've got to take a second and say this. Jesus says God will give us what we need. Um, so I'm not doing the prosperity, gospel, health, and wealth. If you give $200, God will give you 500 because if that were the case, I'd be a multimillionaire by now. Um, no one, you wouldn't be doing that same scheme if that were true. Um, whatever. Uh, but that's not what I'm doing here. Often we need a lot less than what we think we need. And often God might say, you don't need anything financial. You need more faith. So I'm going to put you in a place where you have to depend on me to provide for you. He says, we will get what we need though. And we trust God to be a good father. He's already loved us through Christ. We can trust him with our futures entirely. So I just wanted to let you guys know, I'm not saying if you give, you'll get more. I'm not saying that necessarily. Um, but God will provide for our needs somehow. Right? But seeking the kingdom means that we aren't afraid to be uncomfortable or inconvenienced. We might not like it all the time, but we're not afraid of it. Right? We, we know that we can do without our wants in order to help other people. Right? We can live in a way that other people that don't know Jesus they can't. We can live fearlessly. And Jesus says that, and he says this, he, he says, whatever we do with our possessions here, show where our hearts are. And I think this is huge for us to take. That our actions, how we spend our money, if we hoard it or if we give it, reveals if our hearts are chained to the here and now or if they're set on eternity. Right? Our actions, what we do, dictate where our hearts are. So Jesus says to set our everything on eternity. Right? Everything we are and do, because whatever we give, whatever we do, whatever we say here and now is going to echo throughout eternity. Right? We're to store treasure in heaven. That means to do things that please God. That's the real treasure, right? To delight God with our service to others. That's treasure, to please God. And Jesus says that these things that bring pleasure to God will never fade, that God will always remember those things, right? So here's the question. What's really going to matter 10,000 years from now? Your bank statement, your house, your clothes, the kind of job you have, the kind of car you drove, or is this going to matter? God looking back on your life and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You loved me. Because I loved you first. And you proved that you loved me by what you did for other people. You proved it. Not that what we do saves us, but what we do dictates whether or not we actually have been saved. If we actually have faith, faith without works is dead. 
but what's going to matter? What we have now or God being able to look back at what we did and say, I remember, well done. What's going to matter? So put your treasure in heaven where it's eternal. Be rich towards God by seeking his kingdom instead of your own. And live in the freedom that's found in Jesus. The freedom to give without fear. To not be afraid of your future. To fully be able to trust in him because you know he's good and you know he's sovereign. You know, we're no longer slaves to fear or possessions. Because Christ is our ultimate treasure now. And we know that nothing can take him from us. We've been made righteous in God's eyes by Jesus. And through Jesus, we've been adopted in and we call God our father. And God loves his children. And he promises to take care of us. And he is good. We can trust him. We're no longer slaves to anxiety and the worries of this life. So go and be free. Live in accordance with the grace and generosity that Jesus showed you. Don't be afraid because your father loves you. Let's pray. Father, you're better to us than we deserve. We deserve hell and you give us Jesus. We don't deserve to eat and you give us food. We don't deserve anything and everything that we have is a gift from you. And God, I pray that we would take that fact into consideration every single day, that whatever we have is a gift given to you, to us, so that we could bless others. That if we have more than we need, that you've given us an excess for us to help other people. That it's not ours. Everything belongs to you. You're the one in control. You're the one who dictates what we have, and you've given us what we have so we can bless other people. Father, I pray that we take the generosity of Christ just and, and be convicted by it. Father, help us to live like your son and not be afraid of the future. Thank you for securing our future in Christ so that we have nothing to fear anymore because we know you're good. Help us to really understand how in control you are and how good you are. Let us be a more generous people that reflects your son. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.